I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. That's been our series that we've been doing in our year of discipleship. And uh, I, I don't know about this, have you ever failed to make a plan that was adequate for what you were hoping for to be fulfilled? Have you ever failed to plan? Have you ever had one of those moments where you've turned up late for an appointment, late to see a friend, and you've gone to say to them, I'm sorry for being late, and then you're about to say an excuse, but in your mind, you were thinking, be honest, just tell them you didn't plan to be here on time. Have you ever had one of those moments? You don't say that to them because that requires way too much integrity. Uh, you know, you just, you just leave the... But, you know, you, you realise that the, the reason you failed is because you didn't plan to succeed. I, I'm, I'm quite a planner, so I asked Katie for some stories about times where I failed to plan. She couldn't come up with any. Um, I'm sure they do exist. I could think of plenty of times she failed to plan. Um, and I've got a list here, so let's just run through them for a moment. <laughs> no. Mainly, she, she failed to plan to put petrol in her car. Uh, that's often the, the thing. But I, I, would, I, would, I was thinking about one where I thought, rather than this, let's have this planned holiday. This is going back a few years now. I thought, rather than just have a planned holiday, let's borrow a camper van off some good friends and let's just have an unplanned holiday. Let's just like drive and like just go camping wherever. That was like my grand plan. And since then, all I'm going to say is we've always had planned holidays, okay? Our kids are traumatised by the trip. Um, and it's, I think mainly it's because of how the trip started, okay? This is, this is day one of our unplanned trip. We woke up in Wanaka. We need, we'd been there for some good friends' wedding and we needed to fly back here to start our trip. So we drove from Wanaka to Queenstown. Then we flew from Queenstown to Rotorua. Then we had left our boat there from our previous holiday, so we had to drive to Tarawera, grab our boat to bring it back home to our house. Then we had to go to our friend's house to pick up the camper van. Then we had to figure out how to use the camper van. Then we had to go do the grocery shopping for the trip. Then we had to pack the camper van. And then we thought, let's set off to Northland because that's a good goal for one day. Uh, you know, Queenstown's a Northland. So you can see why the unplanned trip. So when we're arriving just north of Auckland at 11 p.m. and we've started at 7 a.m., I can tell you the kids were begging for a planned holiday. The campsite was closed. You know, the gates are locked. We're trying to find another friend's house to like park up at. And then at that point, we realised there's not even enough beds in the camper van for our entire family of six. So some kids are sleeping on the floor. They hate me for it, okay? No, they just never want to go camper van. Mention camper van, they like have traumatic responses, okay? It's a trigger word in our family. But I'm sure you can all think of times where you've failed to plan and therefore what you'd hoped for, perhaps, what you'd wished for, what you'd thought about, what you'd dreamed about, actually didn't come into fruition in that particular time. And it wasn't for lack of wishful thinking. It wasn't for lack of hoping. It maybe wouldn't have even been for lack of intention or desire it was for lack of planning, lack of planning. As Benjamin Franklin said, and you've probably heard this, if you fail to plan, you are planning to fail. If you fail to plan, 
you were planning to fail. Look, if you're here today and you're married, or you want to be married one day, and not everyone does, and that's totally, that's totally cool. If you want to have a great marriage, you need a plan to end up with a great marriage. Great marriages don't happen by accident or just wishful thinking or hopeful or just desire. If you're here and, and you're a parent and you, you want to be a great parent, you want to be the best parent you could possibly be, you won't become that without a plan to develop and to work and to learn and whatever it is to, to be a great parent. Maybe you're here and you, you don't own a house, but one day you want to be able to own your own piece of land, your own house somewhere. It won't happen by accident. It won't happen just simply because you want to. You'll need a plan to get from where you are to there. And what is true of all of those things is true of our discipleship. It's true of our following Jesus. It's true of our Christian journey. Intention is a great place to begin. I want to love the Lord with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want to love my neighbor as myself. Oh, Jesus, if you have come to give the good, abundant, full life, I want to grab hold of that. That's desire. That's hard. That's a great place to begin. God can't really begin without you being in that place. So that's a, that's a great place to begin. But it would be a trap to think that that's enough that just having the desire is going to mean you're going to experience that. If you want, Dave read out Galatians 5.22 this morning, the fruits of the Spirit, a love, joy, peace, kindness, perseverance, your patience, you know, goodness and self-control. This, this is what God wants to birth in our lives. That's awesome. Who doesn't want those things? That sounds awesome. It is awesome. But just the desire for them does not guarantee the grabbing hold of them or the bubbling forth of them from inside of us. We need a plan. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. As they, they being the disciples, were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will, this is person number one, I will follow you wherever you go. Great heart, great intention, great desire. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. That's the end of the first person. So we're, we're sort of guessing that he didn't go through with his desire to follow. Second person, he said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed. Oh, okay, so we're getting somewhere. But he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. It's inferred that he does not do that, that this is the end of his story. And the third one, another said, Jesus, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Seems like a reasonable request to me. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow, like, you know, you're, you're, you're steering the plow behind the ox, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. This passage represents a definition or, if you would, a warning of the radical demands of discipleship. I mean, I said this last year when we talked about a year of discipleship. I said discipleship is radical resistance to the world as we know it. 
And here Jesus is saying discipleship has radical demands to it. There are three would-be followers of Jesus in this story, and this shows that they have not understood the demands of discipleship. They were not prepared to give Jesus the priority that Jesus demanded in their life, and so it is inferred that their stories are left in the balance. And I think their stories are left in the balance because we're supposed to see ourselves in these three stories. Together, these three function as a set of a call to discipleship. Above duty, whether care for self, care for the dead, care for family. So stringent is the demand in these passages that it leaves us wondering whether or not it is hyperbole or exaggeration. Yes, I got it right. I called it hyperbole in the last gathering because English is the only subject I was not good at at school and it's the only subject I actually need now in my life. So listen at school, okay? Hyperbole. Uh, hyperbole, okay? This is like Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount. He's like, if your eye causes it to sin, gouge it out. It doesn't mean there should be a lot of Christians if we're taking that literally with their eyes gouged out. But he's he's using exaggeration. He's using hyperbole. Perhaps Jesus is using hyperbole here. It doesn't really change the essence of the call to place Jesus above everything in your life, above material security, above family, above personal care, above cultural duty to place him above everything in your life. All of these people had good intentions like all of us do, but they didn't actually have a plan for putting Jesus above everything, for putting Jesus above everything, above material security, above cultural family traditions, and this weird thing of not looking back, not looking back. It's it's like, I think in the scripture, it's trying to bring to mind, just for the people that are interested in this, it's trying to bring to mind the story of Elijah and Elisha, I think. And in the story of Elijah and Elisha, Elisha is, is, uh, he's plowing a field as a group of other people in his village plowing a field. And the prophet Elijah, the great prophet, comes to him and he puts a mantle over him, which is like Elijah's version of come follow me and I'll make you a great prophet. And Elisha realizes when he puts the mantle on, okay, this is my shot to leave farming and to become a prophet and enter God's calling in my life. And Elisha says to Elijah, let me first go say goodbye to my family. And Elisha takes his plow, he kills the oxen, he cooks a massive feed for the village, he uses the plow as the firewood, he says goodbye to the family, and it's sort of like, hence the idea, like, you know, burn the plows or burn the bridges and no turning back. So this is the story that Jesus is sort of reflecting on in this, except Jesus mixes it up and is sort of like, don't turn back. Don't don't even just, I'm it. Like, there's no need to go back. And, And... I think he's trying to show us just this whole, the hymn, the cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. And so, just in case nobody told you when you signed up for Jesus, I'll tell you now, the radical demands of discipleship require that we count the cost of discipleship. Requires that we actually consider what Jesus is calling us into as disciples, that he's not asking us to add Jesus into our life, he's asking us to leave our life for him. 
He's asking us to enter a completely new type of life, to be born again, to see the world again, to reevaluate everything again. This is not a philosophy to add, it's something to leave everything else behind for. This is the cost. And not everybody is either ready to pay the cost or willing to pay the cost, but it is the cost of discipleship. This is the cost of the Jesus life. And so you need to make a plan to follow Jesus. You need to make a plan to become a disciple of Jesus. We, we had our good friends, Brendan and Wendy, here at the 9 a.m. gathering and the missionaries in Mexico. And this year, I'm hoping, I want to go see them and help do some building work with them over there. And that's good. That's, that's a good desire, I think. That sounds awesome to me anyway, and I'm sure it's great for them. But it's not gonna happen unless I save some money. It's not gonna happen unless I book the tickets. It's not gonna happen unless I sort out my calendar. It's not gonna happen unless I make a plan. That will be the difference, not the desire, but the planning. And so I don't know where you wanna be in your discipleship journey at the end of the year, but like desire is a great place to begin. I wanna be closer to Jesus. I wanna be more alive in Jesus. I want my life to look more like Jesus. I wanna see Jesus in more of the spaces of my life. Great desire, but the difference will be of whether or not you have a plan. Whether or not you have a plan for spending more time with Jesus whether or not you have a plan for allowing him to transform you, whether or not you have a plan for deepening your connection and fellowship, Christian community, whether or not you have a plan for figuring out what it means to do the work that you do in Jesus' name. You need a plan. You need a plan. So just, you know, make a plan. That's that's as simple as like, I'm not gonna say anything else today. I'm just gonna say, keep saying, make a plan in 15 different ways. Make a plan. Make a plan, make a plan. In your daily life, let's just think of a day, what's your plan for putting Jesus above everything else? What's your plan? What's your plan so that you don't reach for the phone on your bedside? Just a little tip, just don't put it there. What's your plan for that not being your first thing, but Jesus being your first thing? So he's above everything. What's your plan for that? Make a plan. What's your plan in your week for Jesus being above everything? Is it, is it, is it first day of the week? I'm just going to make it a plan that I, I, I'm going to gather with the saints and I'm going to worship the Lord and that's my way of putting him first in every week. So work's not first and recreation's not first, but Jesus is first. Is, that, is it going to be a plan or just wake up, see how you feel? Make a plan. Make a plan. What is it, what, how's Jesus going to be first in your finances? You're gonna have a plan to honor him with the first and the best of what comes in, or is it just if there's something left? Or like, where's Jesus sitting the priority? What about a make a plan in your heart? Where's Jesus gonna? Is it gonna be your worries or your anxieties? Is it gonna be your dreams or your desires? What's gonna be your plan for making sure in the discipline of your heart and mind that Jesus is always above it all, that it's all under him, that it's all surrendered to him in your family? How are you going to put Jesus first in that place? Are you going to pray together around the table? Are you going to read a scripture together? How, what's they going to serve together? What, how are you going to put Jesus first in your family? For those of you who are hoping to date or might be dating this year, how are you going to put Jesus first 
as you navigate that relationship? What are you gonna, what's your plan for making sure he's above all of that? What's your plan for putting him above your entertainment, your recreation, your thought life? Because without a plan, it won't happen. It just will not happen. It will not happen. The ancients called this plan a rule of life. That's what they would call it. It's like, we don't like the word rules, and they don't mean like rules for life. They mean a rule of life, a pre-thought out way to live your life that would ensure that actually the life that you have in God gets room to grow above all else. And so they develop a rule and different monasteries would have a rule, different um, mission organizations have rules, different churches have rules, but you need a rule. A rule is just a fancy word for a plan. A plan to make sure Jesus is always number one. I think the metaphor that ancients have often used is the metaphor of a trellis. And I love that for a rule of life, a trellis. Think of a, a beautiful grapevine growing up. It needs a trellis, not so that it can grow, but to support its growth in the correct shape or the desired shape, right? The point is not the trellis. The point is not spiritual practices. The point is not the plan. The point is the vine. The point is our life in Jesus, that we would abide in that, but we come up with a plan because we realize that actually if we get a bit of trellis in our life, it helps hold the plan. It helps hold the life. Does this make sense? Uh, Bonhoeffer said it like this. It's, um, in regards to marriage, he says, most people think that it's love that will sustain your marriage, but it's marriage that will sustain your love. Right, so you don't need enough love to have a good marriage. You need to know how to have a good marriage so that you stay in love. This is the sort of like thing, right? And so it's like there's a deep love of God for us and I think we want to have a deep love for Him. We want to abide in the, in the vine. We want to be the branches. He's the vine. We want that life surging in us, but we need a bit of trellis so that we hold ourselves to the vine as God designed us. We, trellises, I, I pray every day. They just create some trellis for me to stay connected to the vine. It's not the point. I read the scriptures every day. That's a bit of trellis. It's a plan. It's a rule of life. I honour the Lord with my finances. It's, it's not the point. It's a, it's a rule of life to make sure that everything else is always under God. Oh, we pray as a family. It's like a way of keeping everything. These are the trellis and you need trellis this year. You need a rule this year. You need a plan this year. Where to begin if you don't have a plan? There's lots of places, and the Spirit might be illuminating different things for different people. But if you don't have a plan to regularly spend time with Jesus, start by making that plan because all life flows from that place. If you don't have a daily plan of putting Jesus first in your day, Make a plan for that. Bit of Bible, bit of scripture reflection, maybe even just a few, few moments of silence and solitude just with the Lord. Just make a plan because everything flows from there. Make a plan to spend time with Jesus. Make a plan to spend time with Christian brothers and sisters. Make a plan, make a plan. We've got things like night school happening 
couple of weeks, we're doing spiritual practices this term to help teach people how to spend time with Jesus. Maybe that's a place for you to begin. But I, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever been to a beautiful vineyard and you see the rows of beautiful vines. And if you go at this time of year, there's, there's grapes and they're just, they're getting close to, to vintage time, close to picking time. And it's beautiful and they're manicured and they're pruned and everything to pump the life, the sugars into the fruit. It's amazing. But what you'll see is how they get there is not just tending to the vine, but the lines of posts and wires, just giving something to hold that life so that in the different seasons, it can keep, keep standing. So I want you to imagine your life at the end of this year. Imagine your discipleship journey. Where do you wanna be? What sort of life, what sort of fruit? What's a plan for getting there? Share the plan with somebody. Make a plan, get away with the Lord today, make a plan and start living out that plan and you'll find that God meets you in the midst of that plan and bears the fruit of His kingdom in your life. Imagine being a part of a community like that, right? Where, where it's not just Sunday, it's not just small group, but there's, there's a real plan where there's people really living out their discipleship journey, not just on a hope or a whim, but with a little bit of practice, a little bit of discipline, a little bit of habit, rule, plan, trellis, whatever you want to call it, that's what holds the life of God in us.